I just scraped it off the top Put it on the road, under curve, under block Was already sold, I don't work by 10 o'clock Went too deep in the streets, felt the pain, but it meant a lot Tell me what I gotta do Pull up in a bucket, cool One for me and one for you Yeah, like with the motherfucks a roof What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast Brennan and Dama back on the show It is Monday the 6th And we have a few different things to go over today We are going to discuss two prospects that the Wizards could select at 10 that have worked out with the team recently and Tari Eason and Johnny Davis. There was a Shane Larkin rumor that got put out there on Twitter, so we'll go over that. And then to finish it up, we'll go over Tommy's recent interview that he did with him. I think his name is Nate Duncan, I think, um, on the, the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast. If you guys want to go listen to that, go find that interview. Um, I'll post the link once we uh, post the link to this podcast. I'll I'll put it in a separate tweet below it. But Dama, the the Warriors tied it up last night, one to one in the NBA Finals. Uh, d- did you watch it or no? Yeah. So uh, I missed the I missed the third quarter though. Like I, I was the first half was was. Very entertaining. They was going back and forth. Tatum got going. Um, Steph was doing his usual. And then uh, I, I went down to grab a sandwich in uh, the third quarter started. And I come back and like the, the to start the fourth and they down and they the, the Celtics was down 30. And I'm like, what the hell happened? So I had to rewind it back and watch it. And it was just a it was just a master class from the Warriors, man. Like. I mean, they just they just totally shut down everybody that wasn't Jason Tatum. Like, if you were Tatum, you was you had you were bad. Um, I mean, I think I think Marcus Smart and and uh, Al Horford combined for like four points. Like, it was it was it was just a masterclass defensively for them. Um, but I, I expect the the Celtics to 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 bounce back. Yeah, I do too. I, I think we'll be coming back to to Golden State in Game Five, tied up two to two. If I had yeah. to guess. Um, Wizards news. So Tari Eason and Johnny Davis both worked out with the Wizards recently. Davis worked out with them first, so we'll start with him. Uh, I feel like it the the popular selections amongst Wizards Twitter for who to pick at ten are between he and Benedict Matherin. But what do you think about Johnny Davis? Do you think he fits? Um, specifically, does he fit next to to Beal? How do you? What do you think about Johnny Davis and his potential fit here with us? Yeah, like I, I, I'm a little iffy on the fit, like because I really don't know. So, like just just watching him. And, you know, his, his his college tape, just breaking him down, he kind of reminds me of like a Josh Hart. Like, I think I think that 30 percent usage, like 
you know, you pretty much run everything through him. I, I don't think he's going to be that player in the NBA. He just doesn't have any uh, elite level, uh, I would say, skill or athletic advantage to, to be that type of player in the NBA, in my opinion. I think he's going to. He's going to be kind of like a, a, a plus role player, like a, a dog defensively, gets after it, hustles, gets up under guys. And then offensively, he's going to kind of be like a Josh Hart, Dylan Brooks type where, you know, he's going to have some nights where he can get you 20. But on average, he's probably going to be maybe like a 15 point per game, 14 point per game guy. And you hope his three pointer comes around. Um, but I just don't know. You know, he's 6'5", but he doesn't really have the playmaking to play point guard, in my opinion, or the handle. And then he doesn't really have the size and length to play on the wing. So he, to me, he's kind of like a shooting guard only. And I just don't know where that fits next to Beal. And so for me, I'm like, just my philosophy in general, if I'm picking top 10, I want to draft a guy that I feel like could be a top three player on a playoff team, like scoring wise, rotation wise, like a top three option. And Johnny Davis isn't that to me. So I I don't know. I, I would I wouldn't be mad at the pick, but um I wouldn't be excited about it either. I, I think he could help the Wizards because they just they just need any type of talent um better than what they have in the in the backcourt beyond Beal, but I, it just it wouldn't be a pick that would really excite me. It would just kind of be along the, the lines of the other, you know, the Corey Kispers and the, the Denny and the Rui picks where it's just kind of like, you know, they'll be solid, but they're not home runs. So we'll go over Tari and then we'll sort of compare the two because I know fans have concerns with Tari as well. But I, I guess it it is worth noting, right, that the whoever the Wizards draft, they typically don't work out. Is is that right? I don't want to say that because I don't want to make it seem like the guys we have are bust players. Like, I think Denny is going to be a 10-year pro. Rui is going to be a 10-year pro. Same with Kisper. But, you know, you're drafting top 10, uh, you know, two out of the last – well, no, three out of the last uh, – four drafts you would expect to come away with a guy that's either you know either a cornerstone piece or at minimum a starter for you uh and we're still trying to figure out if we even have a starter yet so um that that's the thing like these guys aren't john vesley or or chris singleton or even troy brown jr where you may you look up you know five six years from now and they're out of the league but they're not guys that I feel like are, are guys that make it to a they're bona fide to make it to a second contract um, or, or a guy you want to give a max extension to. And that's the and that's the type of player we need to draft uh, in this upcoming draft. You made a good point and I, I was going to cut you off, but you were making good points. I meant like um, like so. So we we typically the guys we draft, we typically don't work out. I mean, like in the pre-draft process, like when we get them in the gym. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. 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 Usually if we work them out, that means we're a hundred percent not drafted them. So <laughs> to be fair, uh, I think the the Denny year, I don't think that they expected Denny to fall that low. I think that's probably why they didn't work him out. That, that would be my guess anyway. 
Yeah, and I, I don't even think they worked out Rui. I, I don't remember hearing anything about Rui working out. I remember them working out. Uh, they did work out Troy Brown Jr. They brought him in with Zaire Smith and like basically had them play one on one. Um, and then they took Troy. But I don't. I don't remember them. I don't remember them working out Rui. Um, and then I think Denny, I don't think they did. And then Kisper, I feel like he did work out, though. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and look. But, it, it you know, there, there, it's no guarantee when they work you out that you're, you're getting drafted by them. Kari Eason is another guy that um, screams wing who can't shoot but fits the defensive mold like yada, yada, yada. We've heard that before. Um, so if it feels like it really wouldn't gel with some of the other pieces we have and, you know, a lot of was Twitter and you've said yourself, like if, if this is the case and this is the route they want to go with drafting Eason, then you got to find something else to do with Denny. Because if, if you have two of those guys on the wing next to, to Bradley Beal and KP, they're, they're going to have no room to, to do anything. Um, so how do you feel about... How do you feel about Tari Eason overall at this point? And, like, if they did go Tari, I mean, who would you rather prefer at this point? Would you take Eason or, or would you prefer Denny, like, if you had to pick one of the two? Yeah, so I, I really like Tari Eason's game. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to uh, pretend that I see him as a, uh, you know, like a star, like a guy that's going to come in and eventually be like, you know, 20 point per game score. Like, I, I think he's a guy that just kind of wreaks, wrecks havoc uh, defensively for you. And he can score out of his defense and his energy and hustle. Uh, kind of like a, almost like a wing version of Brandon Clark. Um, you know, you kind of just put him at power forward, maybe some small ball five, and then just let him get a bunch of dunks, transition dunks, get into the rim, maybe a couple free throws. He could occasionally hit a three, uh, open three. Um, and then you probably throw him on the opponent's best best score uh, every night. Um, and just just thinking about his fit, like I feel like that's the type of power forward like archetype that you need next to a KP, um, who's not a guy that's going to switch and all of that. He's kind of a drop. He's a drop big. You know, he's going to meet you at the rim, but he's not a guy you want switching out on the perimeter. So you kind of need a long athletic power forward next to him that can do all of that, all of that dirty work. But uh, I think at 10 might be a little rich. Um, just cause again, just my philosophy at top 10, I want a guy that I can look at and, and think of him as possibly a top three option on my team. And I don't see Tari Eason as that. So is there anyone, I mean, off the, off the top of your head, if, if there's someone realistic who maybe has a small chance of sliding or just anyone in general you like at 10, um, is that is that Matherin? Is it maybe you hope Shade and Sharp falls? Like, what are you kind of hoping for at this point? Yeah, man, in a, in a perfect world, Ben Matherin is there at 10. Um, I, I think that's... I think that would be a home run pick as far as positional need and, like, high floor, like to be able to just come in and help right away because he's six, six, he can play the two or the three. He elevates so well on this jumper. 
Um, you can see him coming in right away and just being an off-ball threat shooter um, with some solid enough defense. Um, but then he's only 19, so you could say to yourself, okay, with that athleticism, you know, if he can add some ball handling, some more playmaking, you might have a star. So I think he's kind of the best of both worlds, whereas uh, some of the other options that, that you know, may be there is kind of it's, it's bigger question marks. You know, either they might be too old or, you know, they have big holes in their game offensively or defensively. But I think I think uh, Ben Matherin is kind of like the, the, the perfect uh, uh, combo of both upside and, and day one uh, readiness to, to help the Wizards. So in summary, either Johnny Davis or Tari Eason at 10, you're not that thrilled about it. In that scenario, I would either be trying to trade back or just right. trade the pick in its entirety. Um, gotcha. If, if those are your two best options there at 10, uh, you know, you could you could also maybe take a swing at like a, a Malachi from Ohio State. I, I like his his uh, his measurables and I like him as a as a scorer shooter, but he's so bad defensively. That it's just like, you know, you're a bottom five defensive team. You're going to draft another, you know, bad defensive player. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like at 10, if that's those are the two best options, uh, I, I think I would entertain either a trade back or a trade out to get a get a player ready to help you. And in a trade back scenario, I'm definitely looking to try to get like a Jalen Williams for sure. So there was a rumor that came out that the Wizards were going to be uh, seriously interested in Shane Larkin, who is currently playing um, overseas in, in the EuroLeague, right? That's the league he's in? Yeah. Yep. So I, that's pretty much viewed as, like, the, the second-best basketball league, um, if I'm not mistaken, in the world. So it's not – as legit as the NBA. However, I think there um, have been a lot of players that have played in that atmosphere and come over here and turn out to help one way or another. Um, Shane Larkin, and how old is he at this point now? Because I remember he was, I think he was drafted by the Celtics, right? He's 29 at this point. I thought he was drafted by the Mavericks. As you can see, well prepared. Yes, he was um, drafted by the Mavericks, and then um, he was with the the Texas Legends in 2014, and then was with the Knicks, Nets, then went overseas and played for the Celtics for a year, and then went back overseas. Um, so he's a guy that can't stick in the NBA. Six foot, one seventy five. Uh, this seems exactly like the type of guy that the Wizards would be interested in. And I, I get that he's been good overseas, but my, my, my question is, if he's so good, why hasn't he come back? And, and and the fact that he's almost 30, like it's not like he's 25, 26, or he just left for a couple of years to get his game right, and now he's good. Like, I mean, he's he's almost 30. I mean, I, 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 I don't see, and he already said he doesn't want to come back as a third point guard, so I don't see how you commit any serious money to that. If you're telling me that's what we're going to be spending, like, half or more than half of the MLE on, then you can go ahead and cancel the season because uh, that I wouldn't be able to take this team or, or Tommy seriously after that. 
Yeah, I just don't think that's that should be a realistic option. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen articles where he's kind of mentioned he doesn't want to come back to the NBA to be a third guard. And that's kind of how I view him because of his stature. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's that should I'm not bringing in Shane Larkin to be my backup point guard. That's just that just should not be an option. Not for this team. Maybe another team that has, you know, a defensive culture and, and they already got their key guys in place. But I just think that's that would just be another bad move for the Wizards. Turning here, um, just wanted to let you guys know that we did have a little bit of a audio hiccup. So we were finishing up the Shane Larkin conversation, basically saying that neither of us would be that thrilled with it. And then we'll pick up where we talk about Tommy Shepard in the recent Dunked On basketball podcast with Nate Duncan. So sorry about the the audio mix up there. You missed about four minutes of conversation. So again, I apologize, but I hope that you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. He never really acknowledged why he had to make the trade to begin with because the guys he signed weren't good. So it's like, you know, it's like um, you kind of skipped over uh, uh, some accountability part there, but, you know, I, I don't ex- I don't expect a GM to say, yeah, that guy sucked, my bad. You know, I shouldn't have signed him. But, no, but it's like, you, you, can, you can word it a different way, right? Like, for me, when, when he started talking about Kispert and Bertanzo, I was like, Oh my God, are you serious? Like, but for one of the worst three point shooting teams in the NBA, he really had the nerve to say, Well, we drafted Corey Kispert, so that made Bertans expendable without remembering that Corey Kispert, I think, shot what, 32% for three on the year? I think it was like 34. But, I don't you know, it it, at one point it was, at one point it was that bad. And it's like, dude, what, what what do you mean that made him expendable? Like, even though Bertans was a brick for us, like we still didn't have an abundance of shooting on the roster. If if you could have said, all we it was really just about getting better and adding more talent, which he said, but then he can, but then when he went back and made that remark, and it's like, okay, well that's not that's not fair to say, I don't think, um, because we didn't have enough shooting on the team. And really quick, he did end up finishing the year with. Um, 35% shooting, so about average. But even then, that like, that's one dude. That's not like, you know, we have three or four different shooters now, which makes him expendable. And I, and I know you're not going to get up yeah. there and you're going to say the guy sucks, but you could have taken a different angle with it because what that tells me now in a way is they're comfortable with the shooting that they have on the roster. And to me, that's just – that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I hope not. Um, yeah, I really, really hope not. But, but I will say – they shot their best. They got their best shot quality and, as a result, their best shot efficiency uh, towards the end of the year when they basically played all their shooters. Uh, KCP, uh, 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 Kispert, and uh, Rui uh, with KP. Like, those were their four best shooters this year. And, you know, with Asado, who was like, a you know, his first option, second and third option is to pass the ball. You know, they shot it well. They were top five in three-point percentage, you know, the last, I believe, 20 or so games of the year. I think uh, Kispert, he, before the All-Star break, was 32% for three, and after, he was 38% for three, almost 39. Um, so they have shooting, but they need more. They need more. Like they, right. they, it's, they, it's not to the point where you ignore it. 
Um, the other thing that um, he said that I found interesting was when he talked about what what Ted wants to see going forward. And again, it, it, he answered the question without trying to answer it. But the 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 main thing I wanted to bring up here is that Ted says he always wants to see the the team improving. Um, and I posted this a while back, but I'm going to go try and find it real quick, their record, since Tommy Shepard has to go over. I think his first year was, what, 18-19, um, right? Uh, first year was 19-20, actually, because it was a 2019 draft. He, he, you know, he, well, he took over the summer of 2019 uh, after the 18-19 year, you know, the Dwight Howard fiasco. And then, okay. uh, you know, he drafted Rui. Okay, so, so I guess they've technically <clears throat> been Im improving. I don't – I mean, th their win total is improving, right? Like, they went from 25 to 34 to 35. Like, that's technically improving, but they, they did get worse from um, the, the 2021 season to, the, to now this year. And I get that guys were injured and all that, but I, I guess, like – when Ted means improving, does this literally mean like you can win two more games and then you're fine? At some point, like you need to make a leap. And as Tommy said himself in the in the interview, the the win it's not as big of a window anymore to to get gradually that much better and to get your your cap health in shape. So I'm wondering when we're gonna see that big leap from Tommy and. The Wizards, and I just I don't feel like one is on the horizon as of now. Again, maybe there's a move that that we're not seeing. Maybe he can get Dejounte Murray for um, uh, for the low, and you know maybe we're talking about this team a little bit differently. But as of right now, I just don't see how you gradually get that much better. And that just the guy, he just seems he seems like a good GM, right? Like from a, a PR standpoint, he always says the right thing. He knows league rules. Um, he has a lot of connections. I get why he would be an asset in a front office, but in terms of being the, the main guy to help your team in this case, which is the wizards turn into a, a championship contender. I don't know that that's the case. And I feel like that should always be the goal, but based on the comments that Ted has made, I don't know if that is the goal. Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, the act that he's following was such a low bar. And it's like, you know, for me, and I think for most fans, like being better, better than Ernie Grunfeld should not be the bar. Like, I'm not comparing Tommy against the failures of Ernie. I'm comparing Tommy against his current contemporaries. So I'm comparing him against Masai and um, his friend Tim Connolly and Pat, Pat Riley uh, I'm comparing them against the best GMs in the league. And, you know, just over the last three years, I just don't really feel like he's stacked up. Like, I, I understand, you know, even if you if you if you want to give him a uh, total reprieve from what happened under the Ernie regime where he was the number two. Even if we do that and we start him right at 2019, they won what tw uh, 25 games. They won 34 percent of their games. Then he made the rush trade. They went and jumped up to winning 47% of their games. Got in the play in AFC, you know, obviously got gentlemen swept. But if you felt like maybe, okay, they were building something there, 
and then you come back year three and you fall back to only winning 42% of your games. Like, I just feel like you can't really, there's really no excuses for that. Like, it's, it is what it is. Your record is, you are what your record says you are. Um, everybody has issues with injuries. Everybody has issues with COVID. That is not anything that's exclusive to the Washington Wizards. So you're either getting it done or you're not. Simple as that. And, and that's the thing, too, and I don't understand his messaging with this. Like, he always says, like, you know, we, we're, it's not an excuse. It's just a fact when he talks about the team having issues with COVID and injury. But then he goes to say, and every team deals with it. I'm like, okay, dude, well, which is it? Because it seems like you're trying to – go into the middle where it feels like you guys were hit individually and it impacted you guys significantly more than all the other teams. But at the same time, it's like you're trying to respect that other teams go through the same thing. Like, like be honest about how you feel about it because when you say stuff like that, it leaves me like, okay, so it, it, that's why it comes off as excuses to me. Like, if, there, if you feel there is validity how your team has been impacted more than others, I feel like that's okay to think that, but then tell me why you think that. When you make comments like that, it, it does. That's why it comes off like excuses to me. Yeah, and it's like he he mentioned Bill missing 40, 42 games, and I'm just like, yeah, but y'all were bad before Bill got hurt. Like it wasn't like y'all were y'all were winning, and then Bill got hurt, and then y'all started losing. Like y'all were losing well before Bill decided to get the injury. Like I feel like Bill getting the surgery on the injury was because y'all were already bad. And it wasn't no point in risking further damage on a bad team. <laughs> so, you know, it was just it was just the way he kind of like again, he's a he's a huge car salesman. He's trying to sell a car with a bad transmission, you know, but it but it's got a good wax job on it and some nice hubcaps. Um, so you know, that that's kind of where we're at with it. And I'm just at a point now where I'm just like, the results are going to speak for themselves. Like, I, I really don't care what he's saying. I want to see one of your top 10 draft picks become a starter. Can we, can we, can that happen? Can, God forbid they become an all-star. Like, can we draft an all-star? Like, can we find a Jordan Poole or Tyrese Maxey? That would be I nice. Would take this quality starter on a winning team. On an above 500 team, can you give me a quality starter? I would call that a success for one of his draft picks. Well, shit, just making it to a second contract. Right. <laughs> like, and I think, I think if, if they become a starter, they'll make it to a second contract. And, and it's, a, it's a little too early for Kispert. He's only played one year. But for Rui and Denny, I mean, how comfortable do you feel going into a second contract with either one of those guys right now? And to me, it's like, I'm, I'm like, nah, I'm good. But, but it sucks because they're both top 10 picks, so... You can't just trade them for nothing. Like it's not like they were a second round pick where they're not working out, and you just trade them for like a future second or cash considerations or whatever. Like like they were both top ten picks. You can't just trade them for nothing. But at the same time, you you can't double down on them and pay them double digit salary when they haven't really showed a whole lot over a tenured of what will be four years for each of them when it's time to for free agency. Some, yeah. I mean, and I think. That's why I'm kind of in favor of moving one of them or possibly both of them if the right deal is available. And then with this draft pick, you have kind of restarting the rookie clock um, on, on potentially a better talent. Um, because to me, those two guys, I mean, they're, again, they're solid. They're not bust players, but I don't feel like they've shown that they're 
irreplaceable. Like you have to hold on to him and give him a second contract. Like, you know, I think the Wizards will be right where they are, <laughs> uh, uh, or possibly better, whether they move on from them or not. So, uh, that, that that's just kind of where I'm at with it. There was someone I was talking with yesterday on the on the timeline, and he brought Denny up. Um, and actually, some people wanted to. They asked some questions or wanted us to touch on some topics, so we can. I'll look over this here in a second, and we can get on that. Well, I guess we can start with this since we're already talking about it. Um, he said he would like to hear what the answer is for the Denny Rui Coos long jam. Uh, long jam. In my opinion, that is just as much a pressing issue as the point guard situation. And then some guy commented and um, said, "Denny is a three. I don't know why everyone wants to act like he is a four. Rui is a tweener like Kuz. Denny should be the starting three over KCP, especially if he takes another step this offseason. So to to break this down, and this is um, Coach Rose at RO78. I, I don't say this to be disrespectful. Um, I, I respectfully disagree with what you said, um, if you're listening. But I don't know what skill he possesses as of right now that makes Denny a four. Um, or makes Denny a three, I'm sorry. Uh, to me, if you're a three, you have to be able to handle the ball a little bit better. You have to be able to create a little bit better. And to me, he can't really do either of those things right now. I mean, he can't even dribble with his left hand. He can barely finish. Um, certainly can't finish with his left hand a whole lot. I mean, we saw it a couple times down the stretch of the season. But generally speaking, I mean, for a three, he's just he's not where he needs to be. So I, I don't know where, where your thoughts are currently at on Denny. Um, in terms of if he's a three or a four, I think he's a four. Originally, I thought he was a three, but after watching him and, and seeing where his skill set is right now, um, his frame and his body, I mean, of course, you, you would like to have uh, the 6'9", 200-whatever-pound the guy to, to be your three. Ideally, you would like that, but for his skill set right now, um, I just don't see how you call him a three. And then he also said that Rui is a tweener, and I, I also just respectfully disagree with that. Uh, Rui, to me, right now is strictly a four, but I, I don't know how you feel about those two as of right now and sort of where, like, what position you would call them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I said this a while ago, you know, <laughs> like his rookie year, I was saying Denny was a power forward, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, you kind of hit it on the head, like, uh, you know, Denny to me doesn't, I, I feel like small forwards in today's game are basically bigger shooting guards. So, like, if I could play you at the three, I can play you at the two. Like, Paul George is a three, right? But if you move Paul George to the two, you wouldn't blink an eye at that. Like, he can play either spot because he has the handle and skill to do so. Chris Middleton, same thing. Um, Jalen Brown, he can play the three to two. You can put Jason Tatum at any spot, two, three, or four, um, because they have the skill to do so. So, you know, I view I, I view power forward as kind of like – you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, when you got a uh, you got a kid that comes out and wants to play wide receiver for football, but they can't catch. So you move them to cornerback. That's kind of like how what I feel about power forward. You got a guy that comes out and wants to be a wing play on the three, you know, like like a play, handle the ball. But he can't really dribble and he can't really shoot, but he can guard a little bit. He's got some size. So OK, let's move you to the four spot. That's kind of what I feel about Denny. Like until he can prove that he has a half court game of any kind, um, 
I just don't know how you could put him at the three spot because you need a guy at that spot that's going to take pressure off of your guards. And he doesn't. If anything, when he's on the floor, guys are going to sag and they're going to just double and they're going to force Denny to make a jump shot or to do anything with the ball um, with his left hand. And he hasn't really proven he can do that. Rui, I feel like, you know, he's, he's, he's gotten better with his catch and shoot jumper exponentially like he's a he's been shooting basically 42 percent from three going back to march 2021 um so i think the three ball is real but the problem with him playing the three is that he doesn't have the feet defensively like he's not sliding his feet to stay with uh you know guys that got handle and shiftiness like that on the perimeter he's got to play up against guys with size that you know don't really shift that much and try to beat you with power and strength. He can guard those types pretty well, like like a Tobias Harris, or you've seen him kind of stick with Giannis and Kawhi. Guys who don't really have a lot of moves, they kind of try to beat you with their power. So he's a four to me. So it's like, you know, and then Kuzma, you, you just saw him have his best stretch of his career basically playing closer to the rim, like a four or five, grabbing it, going, getting layups, playing six ten. Um, and then having no spot opportunities to shoot threes. So, in my opinion, you got you got three power fours, and they do need to figure out. You know, they got to be proactive about what they want to do with them. Um, are you keeping all three, or are you trading two, or flipping one, or I, I don't know. But Tommy has to get ahead of it. He can't wait until it's time to pay Kuzma twenty five million a year, and then you got. You got to re-sign Rui, and then Denny is due for a rookie extension. Like you, you gotta, you gotta be ahead of the game. Um, let's see your top few realistic targets for starting point guard from um, Greg Fittenberg. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, we we've talked about this so much. I mean, I I think I would love to get rid of some of our wing depth and add Monte Morris if you can figure out a way to do that where we're not getting giving up any draft capital. Like, if you could swap Rui and Monte Morris straight up, would I do that? You know, probably. Uh, I don't know, man. Monte Morris... I mean, I don't... I guess if you want to throw... I don't have any other names. What do you got, man? Like a Delon Wright, Ty Jones. We've talked about it so many times. Or like to, to pinpoint my top three. I don't know at this point. Yeah, I mean they're kind of all in the same bucket. I mean none of them are going to be stars. I mean you know you still you know you got Melton. Maybe you try to do a, a try to go chase Ty Jones. Um, I don't think they have I, a shot I at Bunch. I would really love if they were aggressive in trying to get DeJounte Murray. And I know they won't, but can I at least hear that they're interested in trying to do something with that? Would you hear that from Tommy, though? I feel like big moves like that, he doesn't show his hand. We had no – well, we knew the previous year that they had some interest in Porzingis, right? But remember, like, we were blindsided by that. Like, like it came out of – but but I think he was That trade came out of things. nowhere, man. <laughs> But he he said himself that they weren't really talking. Like they kind of they kind of talked last minute about it, and then something came together. And I'm like, I don't know how believable that is. But I mean, we definitely didn't hear anything about it, at least not this past year. Yeah, like it's just like yeah. I mean, like I, I don't think, like I said, if there was interest to get Dejounte, I don't think you would hear about it. It would just happen. Um, you know, and probably. Most likely, it would happen on draft day because once once 
once you make the pick, that's probably what you're gonna be what you're gonna be stuck with. Um, yeah. So Greg. yeah, but that's why I say I feel like the Monte Morris thing is kind of that happy medium because Monte kind of gives you some insurance. Like you got a guy that has familiarity with Wes. Um, right. And he can shoot it, so you know he can play with Beal. Um, and he's making only like $8 million a year for the next two, mil- two years, so that's less than the MLE. Uh, so he's outperforming his contract, and you can get him in your building. And then now, you're not forced to kind of take a point guard. Like, you can, you can kind of just take the best player available in the draft um, and, and just, you know, operate that way. Uh, and if it and you could take a developmental guy, point guard guy later in the draft, maybe your second round pick or something like that, where you're not forced to kind of reach on a point guard in a cl- in a draft class that isn't great, you know, doesn't have great depth at the position. I mean, I, I guess to answer your question, Greg, if if I had to pick three just off the top of my head, um, realistic or unrealistic, whichever. I mean, I guess I'd go Dejounte Murray number one. Uh, Monte Morris number two, and then uh, Malcolm Brogdon number three. Considering what it would um, cost and all that, I, I guess that would probably be my top three. Um, someone posted a picture of Johnny Davis. We already talked about it. Um, do you think Satoransky from Rico um, seven nine eight seven nine nine eight zero? Do you think Satoransky goes back to to Europe, or do you think he resigns with us? I, I think he's going to go back to Europe. If if I had to if I had to guess. Yeah, man, I think it's going to come down to the money, um, money and role. Like, I think, could he play starter minute, starter type minute? Like, could he be a guy that comes back here and plays, you know, 24 minutes a game and is making, and is making, you know, maybe six million a year, five, six million a year. Do you do you do you line that up versus what he would make, you know, um, back in the in the Euroleague? Like I, I just, and then he would be the guy there. So like, uh, I don't know. I think I think money talks, man. I think money talks. Like, would he take a lesser role here, making more money, or take slightly less money there, but he's the guy? I don't know how it is. I'm sure it's different for every guy, but you got to think about it too. Like his days are numbered playing basketball, you know? Um, I mean, he's, he's what 29, 30. I mean, he's probably got like five, six more years to play um, at most. So, you know, do, do you want to enjoy that? Not to say he wouldn't enjoy it here, but do you want to do it in an environment where you're more comfortable? Um, maybe your wife and, and child would be a little bit more comfortable. I don't know. Just, Something to my question with Sato, why why go through all the trouble to get here last year? Because I mean he right he he got in the Pelican situation and that clearly didn't work out for him. Um and then he was traded to the Spurs and he axed out of there. They bought him out and then he signed as a free agent off waivers here. So like clearly he saw an opportunity with the Wizards and there's a familiarity and comfortability here with Tommy. So, like, why go through all of that if your whole plan was just to go back to the Euroleague, you know, a couple months later? 
Maybe he was just tired of sitting on his tail and wanted to play. I mean, when you get told, yeah, you have the probability of being a starter here eventually and, you know, getting a lot of minutes, I mean, that's better than sitting on your tail and on the bench for someone else. But yeah, um, I, I see the point, though. I mean, I, I would like to think that he's back, but I feel like if they're going to be aggressive about trying to fix the position, then I, I don't see a world where he comes back and wants to play, like, 15 minutes off the bench. I, I think he'd probably pass on that. But again, if it's a, if he's coming back as a starter and is going to play like 24 to, to 26 minutes a night, you know, um, I mean, I, I could see that for him. And I'd be OK with that as long as the defense was up to par and you weren't shooting like 29 percent from three. You know, I mean, I'd be all right with that. You know, I mean, we, we've talked about it several times, so we I, we don't need to go over anything with that. Let's see. Well, also from. Um, from Rich, will they move Kuz or Rui or bring both back? Ugh. Gun to my head, I feel like they're gonna bring both of. I don't know. That's tough because it's like you can't just trade Kuz just to trade him because he was one of your best players this past season. But um, Rui also has no trade value, so it's like I don't know. Like I feel like how Tommy operates. Like I feel like he'll keep them, but I would like to think that there's some internal like knowing in him that he knows that he has to move one of these guys because not everyone can play. And at some point you, you should, if you have an abundance of something, then like try and ship that out and bring something else in where you have more of a hole, I guess. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, 54th pick. Is there anyone you like in that range that you're like, if he's there? Yes. Uh, Alondis Williams, um, Keon Ellis, uh, if they're there. Uh, I saw Keon I Ellis was being mocked as a first rounder at one point. Really? Yeah. I forget what yeah, he was. It was probably NBADraft.net, which Matt Baderno would probably slap me through the computer for saying that. But, um, oh, the from what's this guy? Adam Lawn three five nine five zero five four eight. Man, you guys are either bots or need to come up with more creative usernames. Man, come on, get funky. Um, I don't like reading all these numbers. The the Bradley Beal quote that people are talking about, I guess, in that video where he's um, going off on his team. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, he's a pro. Like he, you know. He's he going to have something to say to I don't see why like, he didn't say anything wrong. Like, what he said was true, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, who who better to hear that from than a, than a pro? He's he's one of 450. Uh, and of those 450, he's like top 20. So, uh, yeah, I think I think he's qualified to, to, to coach some high school kids in basketball. So, yeah, I, I didn't see what the big deal was. Um, I know that you commented on this, and I did too. Um, that trade idea that involved uh, DeAnthony Melton in the the twenty second pick plus a, a future protected first round pick for uh, pick number ten. Did do you remember seeing that? Do you have a particular opinion on that? Uh, I would have the trade just in a vacuum looked okay, but I would have to see how the draft board goes first before I like because if Ben Matherin or Dyson Daniels sitting there at ten, you're not making that trade. Right. Like at all, like not even considering it. So 
it would it would have to depend on how the board falls. You know, like if all of your targeted guys that you really like are are gone at ten, and you feel like it's a big gap between the guy you would t- you feel like it's not a big gap between the guy you would take at ten and the guy you would take at twenty. Then yeah, maybe you take you take that trade. Um, but otherwise, you you take the talent. Um. From Anthony at Tzice1318. Prospects to stay away from. I'm assuming this means for the Wizards, and I'm assuming this means for the 10th pick. So what prospects at the 10th pick are you absolutely just no if they're on the board? I won't say specifically. I'll just give you a profile of the play. Like, I don't want any centers at 10. And I don't want any players that are sub 30% from the three, sub 60% from the free throw line. Like, so <laughs> whatever players fit that description, I don't want it to. Um, the right point guard pieces are on the Odds of a trade for a point guard like Monte Morris, we kind of just went over. I don't know what the odds of it are. Uh, I would say that it's probably more likely than the DeJounte Murray, Malcolm Brogdon route. I don't think you're going to have to give up a lot for Monte Morris. And depending on what we give the Nuggets back in return, we could be saving some salary for them. We're giving them some Michael Porter Jr. insurance, ideally. So um, I would say out of all the point guard scenarios outside of re-signing Sadoransky, like, I, I think I would like the odds of Monte Morris being our starting point guard the most next season. I mean, I I don't see them paying a lot of money to Tyus Jones, and plus he's a restricted free agent. And I I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd probably put Monte Morris, though, at like the number one odds behind Sadoransky right now. Yeah, I actually, and you know, if, if they could, if, if Tommy could get Monte Morris for, you know, without having to give up draft capital, and then you bring Sadoransky back. I think that's a solid point guard rotation. I, I think I would rather that than bringing in Malcolm Brogdon's $22 million salary and the assets you would have to send out to get him here. Yeah, yeah. Then the injuries. They're not even talking to injuries and age. Now, again, it's, if, if the Pacers are giving us the sixth pick, you know, it's uh... – Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Now we can talk. We can talk about yeah, that for we'll sure. Talk about it. Um, and that was from uh, Cameron Luthi at C. Luthi. Faisal, our guy, Faisal Hassan. Uh, Shaden Sharp's prospects of falling. If he's there at 10, are you taking him? No question. Or do you have concerns about his lateral quickness? Um, I told him I would definitely let you take this question because I don't know enough about these prospects. But it kind of sucks because, like, like this guy has no tape. We, we've talked about it before. I know – um, Matt Oz, you talked about it on the, the draft podcast. It really just isn't much to go off of, but I guess there is a concern with his lateral ability, which would really be bad for him on the defensive end of the floor when you consider he's going to be guarding guards. So um, do you notice that in his game? Do you think that's a concern with him? And if he is on the board at 10, do you take him? 
Yeah, but there's so much unknown. Um, I, I seen a comp for him recently to uh, to J.R. Smith, and then I went and back and watched him, and I was like, wow, you know what? That's not that's a pretty spot on comp because I remember J.R. coming out and. You watched him. He was just like the best athlete on the floor. But again, he was coming out of high school and, you know, he had a pure looking shooting form. Uh, but the handle was a little bit suspect. He, you know, he wasn't like the for as athletic as he was. You would have thought he would get to the rim better than he did. Um, and so he ended up ultimately being kind of like a six man role player. And it's like if you end up if that's what Shader Sharp ended up as, I think a lot of people would be kind of disappointed. But it's so much unknown, like, what What do you, you know, What? how do you evaluate him? Because I do see that on tape. Like, he doesn't, he's not a guy that when he puts it on the floor, like a Jalen Green, for instance, who creates a lot of, like, separation and, and just blows by a guy, gets to the rim and dunks on you, like, or finishes through traffic. He was by far and away the most athletic kid on the court every time he played basketball in high school. So it, you'll see stuff he does that wows you, but on a consistent basis, just in a half-court setting, he's not super impressive. Like, he's not a guy you like, oh, he can get a, he can get his shot whenever he wants. Just, you know, like, I, if I'm just comparing him to, like, say, like a Jaden Hardy, like, like, Hardy got moves. Like, he separates. He, he, he got handled to run the pick and roll and, and, kind of be crafty and get by you and get to the rim and finish. Uh, Sharp don't really have those type of moves just yet. And maybe you say to yourself, well, he's only 19, so he can add those. But, you know, it's it's going to be some development. But I think it's such an unknown. Our team's willing to take that risk. Um, Clay Williams at Birds of Clay. What's up, buddy? Um, assistant coach wish list for the Wizards. I don't know if I have anyone in particular. Obviously, if Quinn Snyder was still interested in coaching, um, I think that would have been someone I would have liked to see them maybe entertain a little bit. Um, outside of that, I mean, I I really don't know. Like, I don't know if there's any assistant coaches out there right now that have head coaching experience that don't have a job right now. Um, you know, would, would James Borrego come be a coach, but I feel like that doesn't help our defensive issues. Does have that Spurs background though. Um, would Frank Vogel welcome a role coming on the bench here next to Wes Unso Jr.? I don't know. Um, are there any names that that you like? I know that there was a tweet that there was some European coach that was drawing a lot of interest, not necessarily from the Wizards, um, but he was drawing interest as an assistant coach. I feel like that would be a very Tommy thing to to have Wes do, but I don't know if you have any names. I didn't have any names off the top of my head. I just feel like, you know, West needs a, a you know, a, a assistant head with some, some head coach experience, um, just to kind of help him navigate egos and, and locker room stuff, and you know, kind of be play play the bad cop and, and hold guys more accountable. Because I think West is more of a non-confrontational guy that just kind of as a workman goes about it and tells you what he wants and then just expects you to execute it, but. I don't know that he's the kind of like in your face guy that that's going to really like push you to that point. So I think they kind of need that on the bench. I love that Darvin Ham is bringing in uh, Rasheed Wallace, by the way. I oh, yeah. Oh, that's going to be a fired up locker room. 
That's like Darvin Ham's had the job for like two or three days, and his first assistant hire is already fire. And we sat there with like Pat Delaney, Zach Guthrie, yeah. guys that have already sure. been on the staff before. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to be positive about the West Unso Junior experience, but right now I'm just not that impressed. And I really hope that Tommy's not forcing any hires on his staff because that would irritate me. I mean, if I'm a general manager, I'm letting you pick your staff, but then it's your ass when things don't go the way they're supposed to. Um, Let's see. Michael at shake and bake underscore DMV. Um, should the Wizards use cast, cast considerations to get extra picks in the draft? Who is a good second round option? We already talked about that second part. Um, the first part, I'm honestly, I don't, we already have so many guys at the bottom of the roster that are not going to be playing. Uh, Vernon Carey, Isaiah Todd, those contracts are guaranteed. So I wouldn't be buying into the second round. If anything, I'd be trying to sell it. Um, just knowing how we draft in the second round anyway. And um, we already have a lot of guys, like I said, at the bottom that aren't going to be playing anyway. So to answer your question, Michael, no. Um, I wouldn't be buying. If anything, I would uh, be selling. What do you think? Yeah. I'm trying to... Yeah, sell. And I mean, there are some stash option options too. You know, um, Yannick and Zosa um, is a guy that I really like as a, as a draft and stash. You know, um, a guy who probably will play overseas for a couple to a few more years, maybe comes up, up over at the age of uh, 21, 22, maybe. But then you have a, a rotational player. I know you, you said that he reminds you a lot, at least by the time of uh, Chris Boucher, who plays for uh, the, the Raptors, and is uh, a decent rotational big, like, backup center can give you maybe, like, 15, 20 minutes a game. But I feel like that would be pretty solid for the second round draft stash pick at some point, you know? Yeah, I mean, this one off is just a good history of second. So, you know, I wouldn't be mad, but I just kind of, my hopes wouldn't be high or something like that. Whatever they do with the second round pick, I'm going to be like, ah, shit. And, and I'm just going to know it's, it's going to not work out. I'm trying to help but that they traded away for something. Yeah. But I think that's all that we got here. Everything else is just sort of comments. But uh, anything else you want to talk about before we get off here today? Uh, that was all I got. All right. We'll go ahead and close after. Uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode. Um, Make sure to subscribe if you are here. Leave us a five-star review. Please comment if you have any questions or concerns. My DMs are always open. And we will see you next time.